Chapter 3 Rena guided our grime-covered rattle-trap past four sheriff's vehicles before easing into a spot alongside one of two Napa City black-and-whites. Looks like county jurisdiction, I said, kneading the stiffness in my neck. Rena nodded. Napa City limits starts a few miles on. Their boys are along for support. More marbles, then... You ever been out here? A few times. Would the wife like it? I'd met Frank and his better half six years ago when the couple had strolled into the antiques shop where I was apprenticing in the Outer Sunset District. Even in plain clothes, Rena's bearing screamed cop. Hardened eyes, penetrating look, a palpable aura of distance, because in his world people were callous and calculating and lied as easily as they breathed. DeRosa's focus was different, but you can sense his enthusiasm for the work, I said as we stepped from the vehicle. Your wife would like that about him. At six foot four, Rena intimidated most people. Smart suspects stayed put when he confronted them. Fleeing brought down the lightning-fast hammer that was Lieutenant Frank Rena. Thick brown hair framed a large square face with a few soft edges— There was also humor at the back of his eyes, if he let you past the cop deadpan. Rena shot me a sharp look. Did you just dish out an art world equivalent of she's got personality? Or he? No. We're talking different tastes. DeRosa went in for funk art and the Bay Area figurative movement, mostly loud and colorful stuff. Your wife favors quieter work. But, to his credit, DeRosa had been a stout supporter of Northern California artists, while other resident collectors looked to the East Coast and Europe for pieces. DeRosa was beloved because he bought local, famous and fresh-faced talent. He snapped up sculpture by Stephen DeStabler, clay pieces by Peter Volkos, conceptual art by Bruce Nauman, ceramic murals by Jim Melchert, paintings by Elmer Bischoff, and so on an endless string of acquisitions. He sought early efforts, before prices headed to the stars. The collection now housed more than 2,000 works of art, from some 800 artists. Trudging uphill toward the entrance, Rana scanned the area. Looks like a big spread. Never makes for a good crime scene. I nodded. Acres and acres. Gift shop and a small gallery are through the front door, The main gallery is three, four minutes up the hill by shuttle. It's ten times larger and holds the permanent collection. Then there's offices, the original home, and an outdoor sculpture garden stretching back even farther. Rana shook his head. Not big. Huge goddamn crime scene. Two sheriff's deputies escorted us from the entrance to a waiting patrol car out back. We rolled upward toward the main gallery, which one of our guides referred to as a queer place for an accident. Rena's brow furrowed. We entered the gallery and traipsed past an art car by self-proclaimed junk sculptor David Best. He'd strip down a vehicle, refashion it, then smother the surface with thousands of small objects, from toys to bits of mirror to endless salvaged knickknacks, until the car sparkled and glittered and told an American story. A long hall peppered with sculpture and paintings and collages led us to a covered back patio and David Ireland's famous Angel Go-Round, 
a collection of prostrate classical Greco-Roman cemetery statuary huddled in a circle. Normally an angel, winged and pious and draped in a white robe, glided overhead in a tight circuit above the dead. It was present, but unmoving, as lifeless as the corpse of an adult Japanese male that had fallen across the statues. The body of someone I knew well. Someone I had in fact talked to eight months ago, when I visited his father's studio in Kyoto to collect pieces from my shop.